Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. All right, let's get to it on a Thursday draft day, big day. Obviously, big Vegas Golden Knights game last night, but we're going to start with football. Huge day, Tyler. The First Bite. Who would you pick in the first round for the Raiders? Okay, so there were, we know, we talked about it this week, there were eight possibilities that Westgate put up. So we know one thing, it has no chance of being any of those eight. <laughs> so if you bet the fa- the co-favorites over the books, we, we, we're glad for you. Rip the ticket up. You have absolutely no chance of figuring this out. <laughs> were any of those eight running backs that would make us say, what are they doing again? No, I wish they would have actually thrown like Trey Lance in there to screw with people. And yet, we never know what might happen. So there were no quarterbacks and no running backs in that eight. But at some point, Trey Lance and Justin Fields were listed as 30 to 1 long shots. Given it's Gruden and Mayock, I don't know how long they are. So the Raiders, here's what I would do if I was if I was running the Raiders draft tonight. Because they have two holes in terms of two positions that they don't have a starter at. Uh, right. They probably have more holes than that because they should probably be trying to replace some other guys, but they don't have do a right have tackle. A starter, do they have a starter where Jonathan Abram is? Yeah, Carl <laughs> Joseph. Um, so they don't have a right tackle. They don't have a right uh, and a free safety. Fortunately for the Raiders, this draft class is deep with tackle prospects. Uh, yeah. Using pro football focus as draft rankings, there are 10 offensive tackles in the top 50. Um, yeah. So... There are 10 offensive tackles that are worthwhile picks in the first or second round, and the Raiders' second round pick is at 48, meaning there's a good chance there is one of those top 10 tackles on the board at 48. But at safety, there's only three guys in the top 50. So if the Raiders end up taking a tackle in the first round and then want a safety in the second round, if they're picking at 48, there's a good chance they're reaching for a guy who is not a top 50 prospect in the draft. So what I would like to see is the Raiders use the depth of the tackle class to their advantage and wait on one. Like one of the consistent problems the Raiders have shown in the last two drafts is they don't have an understanding of league value in the draft. Like they took Cleveland Furl fourth overall. That was terrible value. Even if you like Furl, you don't take him fourth overall. Um, they took Josh Jacobs 24th. Uh, it's a running back in the first round. That's something that not many teams are doing anymore. Uh, they took Damon Arnett last year in the first round, and he was projected as a second or third round pick. But the most comparable pick they've made to this year in the tackle class is Henry Ruggs. Because last season... The Raiders, like this year, they needed a wide receiver. This year, they need a right tackle. And last year, the wide receiver class was very deep. This year, the tackle class is very deep. But the Raiders didn't take advantage of that. They took the first wide receiver in the draft. And when it came their time to pick, they had there were no wide receivers taken. They didn't trade down to try to add more value and take a wide receiver later in the first round. They didn't wait until round two where they could have gotten wide receivers that ended up being just as good, if not better, than Henry Ruggs. Um, but they took the first wide receiver on the board. They had a need, and they took the best wide receiver, at least what they thought was the best wide receiver when it came there. This season is very similar in terms of tackles. They're not going to get the top tackle. Panay Sewell's not going to be there for them uh, when they pick at 17, 
but they might end up getting the second or third best tackle in this draft. And I think it's in their best interest to wait and not take the uh, tackle right there at 17 because based on rankings and stuff, uh, what, the, the third best tackle in this class, is he going to be that much better than the seventh or eighth best tackle that they might get in the second round? I, I mean, it's possible, but I'm not really seeing that much of a difference here. So I think the smart pick for them is in round one to take a safety. You hope Trayvon Mooring, who's the number one safety, is there from TCU. Take him. He might be the only first-round safety, or the only guy worthwhile of taking in the first round as a safety. Take him. Start him at free safety next season. And then in the second round tomorrow, use the tackle depth to your advantage and take your starting right tackle then. I'd have no problem with that, especially given every every evaluation. And you know, I trust pro football focus the most, but every evaluation says Mooring's by far the best safety. Like it's not, there's not like, uh, like you said, a few go in the first round. Um, he's by far the the kid that they think could move right into a spot and kind of be the, uh, give you production at that, at the free safety spot. You know, I think the next one they have is Elijah Molden, but he's more of a slot guy. So then you're getting down to, uh, at least for pro football focus, um, you know, late second round, maybe even third round, the Jamar, third round, Jamar Johnson from Indiana. So if Mooring's that much ahead, and we've heard this from the very beginning of draft mocks and evaluations, then I would have no problem with that. Do I think they'll do it? No, because it's just the easy choice. It's, you know, the obvious choice. Um, I, I think if they go tackle, there's a, you know, maybe who, who, um, you could go Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. The other thing they might do, I've seen this guy a lot, and again, you know, it's different mocks, um, but I'll, I've seen three or four places where people have listed the Elijah Vera Tucker kid from USC. Now, he's a guard, and I let me ask you about this. Let's say they go there. I've seen his name a lot. He's a guard, and the, and the uh, explanation is he's really good, and you would just move Denzel Good out to right tackle because he's played there before. I'm not saying that's what I would do, but what if they did something like that? Like they take, you know, the best guard in the draft and they move Denzel Good out. That uh, sounds kind of stupid because guard isn't yeah. nearly as important as tackle. No. Um, right. But it, like if you think if you think Elijah Vera Tucker is that much better than whoever the, the best tackle is available, then maybe you make that move. But I, normally you're not you're not drafting guards in the first round. Like that's a right. that's a poor use of resources to take a guard in the first round. But I mean, if you're sold on him and he, you think he's better than the rest, then I, I guess you could make some sense of that. But to me, you're not drafting a guy in the first round to play him at guard. Like you'd, you're better off. I mean, I told you yesterday, Micah Parsons would be a terrible pick. I think you're better off taking Micah Parsons than you are a guy that you're planning to play at right guard for the next five years. So. So I, if you think I, Micah Parsons is a horrible pick, how do you like Jeremiah Wosukarama <laughs> from Notre Dame? Because he's he's showing up a lot of, uh, on them uh, in terms of mocks, and that would be that wouldn't even be the best linebacker in the class. I mean, if you're at 17 and you shouldn't be taking a linebacker, at least get the best one. I don't know if Mark, Micah Parsons is going to be there, um, but I, I, look, I'm all in on your pick because uh, he's the best safety in the draft. We've said for months now, you be, you better get a safety. It can't be Jeff Heath. It can't be someone like that for the long term. I'm just sitting here saying, and you, you broke it down pretty well. I'm saying they don't usually make, you know, the pick that everyone says, well, this is the easy one. Just take the layup pick here and move on. No, I, I think what they're going to do is take an offensive tackle or maybe mm -hmm. Elijah Vera Tucker. He might be the one they take too. But I, I think ultimately 
they're going to take an offensive tackle. They're not going to get Sewell. He's going to be gone. There's a good chance for Sean yeah. Slater, yeah. who's who's the consensus number so. two tackle, is gone. So there's like Christian Darisaw, the guy from Virginia Tech. Uh, Tevin Jenkins. Yeah, Tevin Jenkins, who you gone. mentioned from Oklahoma State. Yeah. Um, the guy from Stanford, Walker, Walker Litter. Those are, those are sort of the – the top, the first round tackle guys, I assume they're going to take one of those guys. Actually, I assume they're going to take a tackle that's projected for round three in the first round. That's what they tend to do is they're going to take a tackle. It's just going to be, we're going to be like, wait a minute. Who was that? I thought you could take him tomorrow. So that's probably what they're going to do. <laughs> they're going to take um, a guy where everyone who covers this team, Scurley goes to you, goes to Google and writes this guy's <laughs> name in because, very, because he's not off the street like the last guy we heard about, but he's pretty near the street. <laughs> like that's 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 what happened with Damon Arnett last year. It was like, wait a minute, who who nobody who? nobody nobody has that guy going right now. Like at least uh, when they took Chris, uh, Cleveland Furl, he was still projected in the first round. Just yes, you know, yes, twentieth, not fourth, just but not at four. least it was still a name that people would be like, oh yeah, okay, he's a first round pick. Just about twenty picks too early. So I I ultimately think they take a tackle uh, in the first round tonight. What I, I'll say this, the other way they can use sort of the depth of the tackle class to their advantage is when they get to 17, it kind of depends on which tackles are available. Like if there's been a run on tackles, then you can't really do this. But if they get to, to 17 and there's only been two tackles taken, I'd love to see them trade down and acquire more assets and trade down to the mid-20s and then take one of the tackles there, whether it's uh, Walker Little from Stanford or Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State or whoever. Like, I'd love to see them trade down because that's another way you can take advantage of a deep tackle class is, okay, we want to take a, a tackle. We don't need to take one at 17. We think the guy we want or one of the guys we want will be there at 25 or 6 or something. So let's trade down, add a second or a third or both or whatever, add some more assets and then get the tackle a few picks later anyway. Are you completely against, and I know you gave your reasons yesterday, let's say top three tackles are off the board, uh, and you're sitting there with the decision at that point where, like you said, the fourth or fifth tackle or the 31st, whatever they choose, um, because it's such a deep class, where they're like, we'll take Micah Parsons and we'll get our tackle later. So it's either Micah Parsons at 17, or let's say, the fourth, fifth, sixth, whoever they've fallen in love with. You know they've fallen in love with someone. And let's say, here's the thing. Let's say they fall in love with like the sixth ring tackle, not the next guy. Let's like, we don't know who they fall in love with, not the fourth, <laughs> fifth guy. And ultimately we're going to learn because they have to take a tackle sometime in this draft. But you can get Micah Parsons at 17 and like you said, get your tackle later. If, okay. if all things are even on who the tackle would be. Okay, I will say if the tackle is going to be like the 21st best tackle in the draft – then, okay, take Micah Parsons instead of the 21st yeah. best tackle. But the, the problem I have with the Micah Parsons pick is the only way that that pick provides you uh, added value to the Raiders' current roster is if he's like one of the five best linebackers in football. And I just don't know that you can really count on that happening. As much as people love Micah Parsons, he's got to be unbelievable. Because here's the thing, if he comes in, and like as a rookie, as a rookie linebacker, if he came in and was just as good as Nick Kwiatkowski, right? That's oh, well, a great, that's okay. a great, that's a great rookie linebacker, right? That's yes. you, you got yes. a great first round pick if you have a rookie linebacker who's as good as Nick Kwiatkowski. But if he comes in and he's just as good as Nick Kwiatkowski, then you didn't make your defense any better because now you're choosing between which one of those two is on the field, and they're the, if they're the same level of player 
then your, your defense hasn't gotten better. There's just a decent player standing on the sidelines more often. So that, to me, is the problem with drafting Micah Parsons is he has to be so good right away for that to be a worthwhile pick. If they, if they had a starting right tackle, if they had a starting free safety, then okay, go for it because you can you don't have as many holes. But because they have two massive holes and linebacker is relatively set, I mean, they need the guys to play better, but it's relatively set, that's why I'm against the Micah Parsons pick because he has to be so good for it to be worthwhile. I'll tell you what, I think Maureen's there because in terms of defensive backs, you have the J.C. Horn as a corner. Obviously, you have Patrick Sertain uh, as a corner. The run on tackles, you got four quarterbacks. I think you can get to 17 with Trayvon Mooring there. I'd I, rather I, than I, – yeah. I think you can get there. I, I, you, I think you can get there. The, the quarterbacks alone take up four spots. And the tackles alone, like you said, the top three tackles, now you're at seven. And Sertain's obviously going for – like Parsons. I don't even think Michael Parsons gets to them. So I think the kid from GCU is there. And if you're looking for free safety, and this kid's so much better than anyone else in the draft at that spot, I don't know how you take them. I don't know if they will. They probably won't. But I, I, I completely agree with your reason. I completely agree with the pick. I just don't think they'll do it. Now, if they do, we'll be here tomorrow completely like cheering them, and it's going to be A++ pass for them. But I'll believe it when I see it, when they take the one guy on that board at that point, if he's there, that would help them immediately. <laughs> oh, we'll be I mean, stunned if they do that. We'll be stunned. Yes. All right. <laughs> Coming up next, we talk to David Roth. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can oh. you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Joining us now from The Defector is David Roth. David, how are you this morning? Hey, Pretty good. I am I am post dose two, so my brain is working at about like I don't know seventy five percent speed. But wow. I think that might also just be normal, and now I'm noticing it. Well, yeah. At least you're at least you're alive. I mean, yeah. listen, I, when when I got my shots, the second one I had no problem with. For some reason, the first one almost killed me. I was in bed for eighteen hours after the first one, and nobody else has, has confirmed to me that the first one almost knocked them out like it did to me. Yeah, that's a, that is the first I've heard it. Although it seems like this is the whole thing is just like I mean I don't know to what extent uh, people's minds are are working on this. I was kind of looking forward to just being like, sorry, I can't today. Like I didn't want the fever part, but I did like the idea. I might see if I can steal a nap later. I, I think I've I've got the plausible deniability part. Um, okay, so I want to ask you: Do you love or hate the NFL draft? <laughs> I I um I sort of. Uh, hate how much I love the NFL draft, I guess, <laughs> is the first answer. Like, I, I really didn't follow college football hardly at all this year, um, and I thought that this would maybe somehow get me off the hook for, like, the usual sort of 36 hours of furiously developing opinions about stuff, about things I, I really don't know anything about. But uh, it's, it's not true. Like, I'm here. I'll be mad if the Giants pick the guy that I don't want them to pick or whatever. And, like, I don't know why. I mean, I'm not even really, like, that mad when the Giants lose. It's just, like, sort of there's some little dumb gland in my brain that fires around this time every year. And suddenly I'm like, oh, are you serious? Zach Wilson? Uh. And, like, I don't have an opinion on him. I've never seen him play. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow it's enough that I can still get upset about it. But we do get... We do get cool. No, I guess not cool because Justin Fields might uh, have some health issues. The the stories that lead up to it and people trying to like fake each other out and put bad stuff out there. Sometimes those aren't the worst things in the world. I guess whether or not you know he really has health problems or not because we've never heard of these for the last five years. Yeah, it's that is actually the part of it that I've come around on the most is the the weird lies and like sort of. <laughs> 
like Game of Thrones, but if like all the characters were seven years old, you know, like, like really strange, <laughs> obvious obfuscations. Like that part to me, I used to be like annoyed by it because I was just like, you know, at this point, I think you know whatever we're confronted with enough like meaningful dishonesty every day that the idea of like an NFL <laughs> like Rick Spielman trying to act smarter than me is just like it's funny. Like it's like you know the idea of getting lied to is less offensive when it's a, a guy in coaching pants doing it. Has there ever been something to try to tank a pick a player's draft stock better than when Laramie Tunzel's draft bong video came out during the first <laughs> round? I was thinking about that the other day. Like it's incredible. First of all, it's incredible that it worked because like once it became <laughs> clear that it wasn't like if you, if a photo of me in a gas mask came out during a crucial moment in my life, like it would be embarrassing just because like it's not a it's not a flattering look. But once everybody was like, no, he was just smoking weed in like a weird, inefficient way for some reason. Like at that point, uh, yeah, you would have to be applying for a job in the NFL for anyone to care. I think, <laughs> but <laughs> it was it was really wild. That was especially to the. I think mean, you know whatever. We're in a, a moment where there'll be like more stuff kind of like that. But the idea of all of that happening on Instagram and it was always sort of unclear who was trying to benefit from that. Uh, it was like, I guess, a disgruntled former, you know, fixer or whatever it is. But like in all of those instances, I was just like, what are you even going for here? Like, thanks for the picture. Obviously, it's very funny. <laughs> but why? Uh, Vegas gets the draft next year. Uh, Cleveland this year. I actually thought as bad as it was because of the pandemic, the virtual draft was pretty good. You had Jerry Jones talking about being in the shower. Uh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury with the with the shot that we all want to live in that house and Belichick's dog, like, making picks. Like, it seemed like that came off, and that might be a better way than just a bunch of people standing in front of sta- stages. I think I exactly uh, – well, all right, apologies for my vax brain. Let me start again. I absolutely agree. I think that, that was a rare <laughs> moment of, like, the NFL seeming kind of, like, relatable and funny, but that's not – I don't. I just don't think they're very comfortable doing stuff like no. that. Like Belichick having a dog for him. I think. <laughs> like now that everybody knows, I think he considers that like an opsec failure somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but like uh, the, but I agree that it was like a rare sort of moment. Like not even you know it wasn't like it was like super duper real, but it was like that's also how drafts like for you know people that that you know have fantasy drafts and stuff like that. Like we've never rented a space. You know, like it's like a Zoom call where one person is too drunk. Like, I think if the NFL draft is like that, that, you know, like is good for everybody. Uh, David, we got to see the Padres and Dodgers over the weekend, and we saw Fernando Tati celebrate running around, Trevor Bauer saying it's okay that people celebrate, Trevor Bauer calling out Fernando Tatis for looking back to steal signs. Was that, A, I thought that was a lot of fun, but I also got the sense that that was so much fun that baseball has to take a month off before they have any more fun again. It really has that feeling, right? Like I was, I had that sense with the uh, when they were you know, that game, the Sunday night game went to extra innings and they were doing the ghost runner stuff, and it was like there should be like a rule where like they just do a quick poll and they're like, do you want to just play this game normal because it's good? Like you're not in a hurry to get home, right? Like we can like not put a guy on second base because it was it was insulting. Like that was I hadn't had that much fun watching a baseball game. I mean, probably since the last postseason, but I think. In general, it's really like awesome to me to see how quickly uh, that rivalry is shaping up, and also like it's on this good kind of like trajectory now, where it's like it's clear that like Tatis and Bauer don't like each other, but they're 
they're not like being jerks about it. Like they're trying to be funny about it. And it's clear that like Bauer is like mad and not laughing actually, but at the same time, uh, like I, there's, it's just got a good energy to it. Like I, I hope that they can stay there for a whole season at least. Like, I don't, like you... bean balls aren't doing anything for me, but like two teams playing really hard against each other and trying to win, like is cool, especially in April. These guys uh, give me a hard time because I used to coach USUP and I would tra- teach six six year olds how to steal signs when they're in second, and I didn't really care. <laughs> but did you? Did you? Are you okay with him? Like the whole peeking back thing? I don't know if he can even see the sign, but he can certainly see location. Like, is that that big of a deal? Because he hit an outside pitch like six inches off the plate, like uh, four twenty. So I don't know if that really helped them that much. But are you okay with any kind of cheating? That's, I think, the, the point about the, the pitch that he hit was, I mean, like, there's no bit of, like, looking backwards you can do that makes it easy to hit that pitch that far. Like, it's not, you, that's not cheating. Like, that's just the fact that he's, you know, one of the most talented baseball players alive. The stuff that I've read about it, because I was curious about that, too. Like, I think that, I don't think you can look back, identify the number of fingers that are no. down, and then, like, compute that in your head and then turn that pitch around. The stuff, there's a good story in The Athletic. Ken Rosenthal talked to, like, just, it was kind of a Ken Rosenthal flex. Like, he just texted three random catcher guys. It was, like, Eric Kratz, Chris <laughs> Iannetta, Jamie Quirk. And the idea of, like, Ken Rosenthal just be like, ah, let me text Quirk. Let me see what he's got to say. <laughs> Which was, like, pretty cool to me. But all three of those guys were like, yeah, people look back and, like, don't look for a catcher's location. That's why you should set up later. So maybe yeah. he knew that the pitch was going to be outside. I don't think that you could identify the type of pitch. And all three of them were like, what you have to do in that situation, like Ionetta said something like, hey man, notice you're looking back. Don't do that again, or else I'm going to have the pitcher knock you down. Like, <laughs> you know, but you can, it's like a, you know, like a workplace issue. Like it's not like a, you know, it does not get settled uh, through Mortal Kombat type scenarios. It's just sort of like a baseball thing happening. Uh, David, as a Mets fan, I'm curious, what are your emotions when you watch a Jacob deGrom start? Just dread. Raw dread, honestly. <laughs> like, it, I think it's been better of late because, uh, well, because he's been so good. But last night was I was not having fun watching that game at all. Like, I it just there's something about the not because he's not great. I mean, he didn't have his best stuff last night and still, you know, gave up one run in six innings and like it was the first time he'd given up two hits in an inning all year long. <laughs> like, he's just been incredible. But the offense is very bad right now and. I have faith that it's going to work out. Like, I don't think that, like, Francisco Lindor uh, suddenly turned into, like, end-stage Omar Infante during his age 27 season. Like, he'll be fine. But it's, like, the the tension of, like, him being perfect and then the team just always being its absolute worst when he is pitching is, like, I mean, whatever. It shouldn't, like, make me sad. You know, like, it's not, these aren't significant games. Like, if it happens in October, uh, like, I'll be louder and the dread will be turned outwards in a way that makes my wife think less of me. But as it is now, it's just, like, it's just kind of frustrating, you know? Like, because he's, he's so good and they're so bad. And uh, it just sort of really brings home what I'm choosing to spend my time getting upset about, you know? Like, it's, it's too obvious. Uh, we have, we have Jason Fitz from ESPN on every Wednesday. He's a great guest, uh, completely out of his mind in a lot of ways. But he he's he has a lot of food. He hates pies, which is a little weird. But this week we learned he he doesn't like maple syrup. He eats he eats like pancakes and waffles plain 
your thoughts on someone like that? Like, could you trust like them, or, or do you just kind of back off from someone who doesn't like syrup? So just a big stack of pancakes and nothing on it. Yeah. Nothing on it. Like, little butter, but no, no syrup. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I, I wish uh, him peace, and I uh, wish him joy <laughs> in his life. And I think he's literally leaving out one of the great uh, pleasures of it. <laughs> I am always... Like I love uh, that as like a sports writer or like sports media person quirk is when people that like their whole job is like they're communicators. They're out there in the world. They're like assessing information. And then later on, it turns out they're like, no, I've never had pasta. Are you serious? Ugh, why? <laughs> There's a lot. Of, um, Michael Kay, who does the Yankees games, uh, it's like their play-by-play guy. I remember reading a story once. He married like a local TV news, like the Good Morning New York anchor or whatever. And they went to Italy, and he was really excited to go to Italy. But then it turned out that the only thing that he'll eat is chicken parm. Like, it's what he has for dinner every night. <laughs> and so he went, they're like in, so they're in like Rome at like great Italian restaurants. And he's like ordering off menu. And they're like, like, what do you, he's like, can you put it on a hero? And they're like, no, like, this is Italy, dude. <laughs> like, which I just respect that he was so committed to his bit. I think there's something that like Iron Eagle had never had soup or something like that. Like, there's a whole bunch of them I used to. I don't know why I would have that in my my head, other than that, like, I guess there's a party where it's like, when I grow up, I want to be successful enough that I can just, like, deny the existence of salads. And everybody would be like, of course, sir. (laughs) Well, he is David Roth from The Defector. Uh, David, enjoy the NFL draft as much as you can tonight. Yeah, I was going to say, as much as I can, I plan on doing it. I wish you guys the same. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, David. Thanks, David. See you. Thanks, David. All right. Coming up next, we are going to get into... The Golden Knights and their big win over the Colorado Avalanche. But first, we have a haircut to give away. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. You will win a haircut from Floyd's 99 Cuts and Color. It's a $29 value, and it can be yours. Again, 702-364-1100. We will take caller number three at 702-364-1100. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Congratulations to Sonny. He's won a haircut from Floyd's 99 Cuts in Color. He'll get a haircut, hot lather, neck shave, shoulder massage, plus a free massage shampoo, a $29 value. We'll have another one of those to give away tomorrow. Golden Knights. They beat the Avalanche last night, 5-2. to two. Neither team was uh, at full strength. The Avalanche didn't have their starting goalie or two of their better forwards in Donskoy or Rantanen. So did we learn anything last night, Ed? We learned that very shortly, those crazy Golden Knights fans will be able to purchase a Honda West Division t-shirt <laughs> as the champion. As I said in the column this morning, save your cash, your spare cash, and then some. We don't know what they're going to be charging for those things. But I like the fact that very soon the fans out there can get their t-shirts. They're in uh, great shape to win the division. Um, I think if, uh, Justin Emerson tweeted last night that even if the even if the Golden Knights were to go 4-4 four and four in their last eight games, Colorado would still have to win seven of their last nine just to tie the Golden Knights in um, the standing. So they're in terrific shape as far as winning the division goes. That's It's not over, uh, but Money Puck has them at winning the division, 83% chance that they win the division. So it's basically over. I thought, to me, I, I had two takeaways last night. The first one, 
was the difference in goaltending and that Colorado really needs Philip Grubauer back because Devin Dubnik wasn't great and Marc-Andre Fleury was spectacular. Uh, and Colorado, it feels like Colorado is in the same spot that the Golden Knights have been in for the last couple of seasons where if you just took the skaters, they're phenomenal and obviously one of the best teams in the NHL, but the goaltending can ruin it. And like we saw with the Golden Knights, if Colorado gets average goaltending, they've got a good shot to get out of the West and into the Final Four. But if they get below average goaltending, like Minnesota's going to knock them out in the first round. Like that to me was the biggest takeaway I had last night was the difference in goaltending. And that if the Avalanche don't get good goaltending, they're, they might lose to Minnesota. They're not a legitimate Stanley Cup threat unless they're getting good goaltending in the playoffs. Grubauer's been very good this season. So if he's back, presumably that fixes it. Uh, but if they don't get Grubauer playing well or don't get Grubauer playing at all, I, Colorado's not going to win anything. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get to grades later, but I'm just going to throw this out there. The Grubauer wouldn't allow a goal off his back. Uh, so that uh, that's probably a, a safe assumption. I mean, Fleury, I'll, I'll, let me ask you this because I'm watching last night. Flurry's just so athletic. He just he, he's so athletic in terms of his quickness and getting in places. I watched last night, and I know they're both good and they both played well. But just for stylistic and matchup wise, and obviously the, everyone's talking about this matchup and the speed against like the heavy heavy team and all of that. I don't know where they're going to be at in the second round with their goaltending, obviously, if they get to the second round. Like, St. Louis is certainly suddenly has a heartbeat. So who knows what could happen if it's St. Louis. But let's say they get through to Colorado. Like, I think Fleury should play against Colorado. Like, I don't know where they're going to be, like, after the first round. Because, you know, is it going to be Leonard to start, Fleury to start? But it just seems to me, I'm watching some of the things he did last night in the first period, like keeping them away. And they probably could have been down 3-1, but he, he was so good. Like, is there anything to my assumption that a bigger, heavier goalie would struggle more against a team like that? They are so fast. They are so skilled with the puck that it's a. Well, we were watching, when I was talking to Ben Goats last night. I'm like, I know the Knights are really good, but you just kind of watch that matchup. And at one point, I look at Ben, I go, Aren't, Don't you think they're about to get one? And then they got one because there were like six times before that that I thought Colorado's going to score. And I just think Flurry's athleticism would be better against that team. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we saw we saw the Mark Andre Fleury poke check, good and bad, last night because right. he stopped a breakaway, what was a a shorthanded avalanche breakaway, with a poke check, and okay. if and if he hadn't gotten there, if he well if he whiffs on the poke check, it's a goal, but he he stopped a breakaway with a poke check, but then Colorado's first goal, Fleury whiffed on a poke check. Now he whiffed on a poke check, and then there was a rebound, and then it was put home, so it wasn't directly because of the poke check. But when he whiffs on a poke check, they give up goals because that's a, a you know high risk, high reward type of play. So it's it's interesting because I I feel like if you're a good enough team, you can take advantage of Flurry's aggressiveness. You can take advantage of the fact that Flurry knows he's one of the most athletic goalies and know that Flurry is going to make plays like that and and end up scoring because he takes himself out of position a little bit more. So it's interesting. The the other part that's fascinating is that Marc-Andre Fleury has played every single game this year against the Colorado Avalanche. That's now, another thing. They haven't seen Leonard, but I don't know if that, you know, again, that could be good or bad. A lot of the games were when Leonard was out, so mm -hmm. there wasn't, it's not like Pete DeBoer actively chose that, but Pete DeBoer actively chose the, the only time this season that they did not rotate Leonard and Fleury when both Leonard and Fleury were healthy was when they played Colorado. Pete DeBoer gave Marc-Andre Fleury a game against Colorado that it, it was Leonard's turn in the rotation 
but he gave it to Flurry, and and DeBoer said, you know, whatever. Flurry earned it. He's been so good all season that he earned that right. spot. So I remember that. I, was, I think that might it was that like the first. I don't know if it's the first matchup, but it was like I remember that he earned it. So it was almost yeah. like it was early on in these matchups, like, and maybe that was not really the reason, but that's what he said. Yeah, and so there's one more game against Colorado. Um, I don't know who would be in rotation to start that one, but the division might be wrapped up by then, so the game might not matter, but. I do think it's interesting that Marc-Andre Fleury has played all of the games, all seven of the games against the Avalanche this yeah. year. And and one of those, DeBoer chose to play him over Leonard. That if you're if you're Pete DeBoer, you're going into the to a second round matchup. And I guess it depends on how the first round plays out. But you go into right, a second right. round matchup and Leonard hasn't seen the Avalanche. I, I'd have to agree with you that it's, it's probably going to be Fleury. It'd be a fascinating to see. Leonard in round one, Flurry in round two. That would be fascinating if the <laughs> Le- chose Leonard that. sweeps St. Louis. Mark, you're now starting. 